Engagement in patient advocacy organizations is a great way to kind of continue to elevate the issues that matter most to people. Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Connecting ALS. My name is Mike Stevenson, and as usual, I'm on the line with my co-host, Jeremy Holden. This week, Jeremy, we are back with an informative interview with Katie Burke. She is the Director of Federal Affairs at the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and also helps lead a coalition uh, of organizations that the ALS Association is a part of, representing more than 40 organizations and uh, their constituents facing serious health conditions. We had a great conversation with Katie, Jeremy. We did. I was excited to get her into the conversation and, and hear from her about the first 100 days. And as Katie will go into, it's, a, it's a, an important component of a new Congress, of a new presidential administration and presidential term to kind of take advantage of a little bit of wind at the sails coming out of inauguration. Uh, so what policy can we get put forward and, and advanced in those first 100 days? And, and Katie helped kind of lay out where, where healthcare policy goes from here, the next 100 days, the next four years, what are the big fights that, that advocates need to gear up for? She did a great job explaining the importance of the next few months of advocacy, but also did stress the need to keep the pressure on our legislators throughout the next four years. Let's go ahead and listen to that interview now. We're joined today by Katie Berg, Director of Federal Affairs at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society out of Washington, D.C. Welcome to Connecting ALS, Katie. Thanks for being with us today. Such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, it's great having you on. We are officially into a new administration, and it seems like uh, President Biden is hitting the ground running. We want to talk to you about the importance of coming out of the gate strong for that administration, particularly in this year. But before we do that, Katie, can you give us some background uh, on the coalition of organizations that you help lead that represents millions in the U.S. facing serious uh, acute and chronic health conditions? Yeah, of course. So the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is just one of more than 40 organizations, including the ALS Association, that works together at both the state and federal level to really advance the voice and the policies that are needed to support patients with pre-existing conditions across the country. It really formed out of an, a realization several years ago that there were serious threats to affordable, accessible coverage in the United States and making sure that the patient community was unified and our opposition to policies that undermine patient access to care and also promote patient access to care was really a, a watershed moment, I think, until that time. Many of the organizations that are now represented in the coalition very much had individual priorities that they worked on individually, but I think it was a great kind of moment where we all looked at each other and said that we have a, a collective voice and a collective strength if we band together to really advance and protect these priorities. So the coalition, I should say, is the Partnership to Protect Coverage. It started many years ago over a plate of breakfast burritos and has really been uh, <laughs> running ever since. And so um, it's it's a great place to be. And like I said, LLS is just one of a few of many groups and, and there are many that serve in leadership capacities on different issues. And so it's it's great to um, it's great to be part of a team. 
Yeah, and, and further proof that nothing bad comes out of a breakfast burritos. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Got to reel them in with a good, a, a good first meal in the day, and then you're set. Absolutely. Now, now, Katie, in October, the coalition put out its agenda for the first 100 days of the next administration, knowing that there was going to be, the election was coming, obviously. And, but the 100 days is something that jumps out to me. Talk to our audience a little bit about the significance of the, that first 100 days. Yeah, of course. I, the first 100 days of any president's term or any new Congress is like a, is, a, is, is largely symbolic, but it's also a key period when elected officials can leverage the kind of post-election momentum to really light a fire under their major policy initiatives. And lawmakers have long used this as a moment to really signal to the community and to voters what they plan to do in the next uh, four years, if you're the president, but in their next term, uh, depending on where they are. And so it's really important that folks who want to have an influence on the policies set by the administration for the rest of their tenure really weigh in the clarity and unity so that there is no confusion about what expectations are for legislators. And so along with 33 of the organizations represented in the patient coalition, we were able to look back at the body of work that we had done in the past five years, pull out the largest, most meaningful policies and concerns, and then condense them into a document aimed at influencing a future administration's first 100 days in office. And what is sort of priorities are you looking at, Katie, in these first few months? What are you bringing to the table? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the coalition, as I, I mentioned before, is really based around access to affordable health care coverage. And so we have three principles which we rally around, which are affordability, accessibility and adequacy. We think that you can't have coverage without three those three criteria being represented. Sure. And so, you know, a lot of the things that we have, have been focused on are related to Medicaid, uh, ensuring that barriers to care and Medicaid programs across the country are eliminated and prevented from being implemented, as well as making sure that Medicaid programs have sufficient resources to operate and provide the services that we know our patients need. The other types of things that we focus around, too, are certainly around the Affordable Care Act, which we know provided coverage to more than 20 million Americans after its enactment. But I think what people don't appreciate about the ACA is that it it made systemic changes in Medicare and Medicaid and employer-sponsored coverage and making sure that those affordability and adequacy standards are upheld and advanced has been really critical to us. So, you know, part of that work has been ensuring that, you know, the patient community is speaking out against insurance policies like short-term limited duration plans and association health plans that undermine critical patient protections, including a ban on insurers' ability to discriminate, are eliminated from the marketplaces. We've seen a really troubling growth of non-compliant, ACA non-compliant coverage options in the marketplace, which are legally allowed to discriminate based on health status, which can charge women and people who with pre-existing conditions much more. And so making sure that those are really eliminated out of out of the insurance markets is critical for us to maintain uh, high standards of quality. The other kind of things that we're interested in are making sure that people have resources in order to understand their insurance. As we all know, healthcare is hard, insurance is complicated, there's lots of paperwork, there's lots of jargon. And so making sure that people have the resources like navigators and education and outreach services so that they know what kind of 
uh, coverage they're going to get and what they can expect is really important. And then I think, you know, another large bucket is ensuring that anti-discrimination policies stay in place, are strengthened, and really moved forward such that patients, regardless of where you're from, who you are, your health status, can get the coverage that they need uh, and the services and the treatment that they need in order to stay healthy. So those are a few of the buckets that we've kind of focused on. But, you know, these things happen everywhere. They happen in the legislatures at the federal and state level. They happen in the administration through policy and regulation. But they also happen in the courts. And so making sure that we kind of have a hand in each pie uh, to make sure that the patient community is robustly represented across all of those areas is, is important to us. And it's something we've been successful at. Yeah, and Katie, we talk about the, those first 100 days being somewhat symbolic, but being a time of kind of renewed focus and energy. But, you know, with a new administration, with the, the paradigm shift that, that we see now with the, a new party uh, taking the reins at the White House, can you talk a little bit about the fights to come and, and the health policy, you know, the next four years after those 100 days? Uh, what do you see on the horizon for health care and, and patient advocacy? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think in terms of patient protections. There are very green pastures for new and developing policies. And I think there's a number of opportunities in in terms of increasing the quality and standards surrounding employer-sponsored coverage. I also think that there are new ways to bring in new coverage populations or to expand services. We've seen some really good work already through Medicaid waivers in some states expanding coverages and services to postpartum women that have previously not been able to access uh, services for a very long period of time. So I think, you know, healthcare is is a diverse and complicated world. And I think that you know, as far as what we can do, I think it's only only limited by our creativity. Katie, uh, the the coalition is, is very much considered a patient first group and, and people like yourself, as well as Jeremy and I are, are doing our best to represent these various communities, but how critical is it to continue to give those directly impacted by these diseases a strong voice and a, a direct line to legislators on these topics? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked. It's the, it's the most important, right? Like people who work in government relations for advocacy organizations, you know, we do this day in and day out and we talk to legislators and to staff but we don't elicit the kind of response that their constituents do. The people who have lived the experience, the people who have done the hard work of helping a relative or a loved one survive and recover from a disease or who have the stories that really put the fire in a member of Congress's eye about taking responsibility for what they know they can do to better somebody's life. And so, you know, I wouldn't be here in the role that I have without the patients that we represent and ensuring that you do outreach to your member of Congress or to your member of your state legislature or to a regulator is, you know, not always the sparkliest, you know, most sexy mm-hmm. thing to do, but it's so impactful. Nobody remembers my name, but they do remember John Smith from Oklahoma who came in and sat in a chair across from them and said, I had this happen to me and it was terrible and I need you to do something about it. They will never remember me, but they will always remember John Smith. And so I think it's critical that patients get in front of their legislatures as as much as they possibly can. 
harder now than ever to get in front of those legislatures as we're 12 months mm -hmm. into a pandemic, but talk a little bit about the opportunities that people still have to touch base and advocate for themselves with, with lawmakers. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good point. And it's something that's been challenging during pandemic times. But I think, you know, legislators are more present online than they ever have been before. Ensuring out to them on places like Twitter is, is helpful. Their press staff notice those types of things and frequently will do outreach as a result of that. I'm also really encouraged by the number of Zoom appointments that we've had with legislators. So while things are not necessarily the same, they're not super different either. So, you know, there's, there's traditional means of communications that are just being tweaked ever so, uh, ever so just to adapt them to pandemic times. And then I think there's the golden oldies, which is picking up the phone and writing an email or writing a letter to your legislator. They're looking at those harder more than ever now to, because they recognize that their face-to-face -face interactions are, are limited at this time. But so far, the more things change, the more they say the same. Yeah, I will never uh, call into question the persistence and dedication of uh, these advocates and, and just seeing them making sure that their voices are heard and reaching out and, and connecting virtually any way they can. It's been really inspiring to know that these conversations are still being had, this work is still being done, and, and we're pressing forward. Yeah, it's been encouraging. I mean, uh, in a year that has brought so many problems to so many legislators need to hear from folks now more than ever. And it's been encouraging to see how impactful that outreach has been. Thanks again, uh, Katie Berg, Director of Federal Affairs at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, for stopping by to discuss some of the critical advocacy work being done in the early days of the new administration. Thanks, Katie. We really appreciate uh, your time and expertise. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was great to have this conversation with both of you. You know, Mike, I'm struck by the timing of this conversation we had with Katie Burge about health policy going forward. You know, the ALS Association uh, just put forth its um, expectations for Congress and its priorities in terms of funding ALS research at the federal level. We can share a link to that in our show notes. And as Abram Bielowskis of the ALS Association's advocacy team laid out in December, an ambitious agenda uh, of policy that will uh, will be pushed this year by advocates. So, you know, hopefully the advocates are rested up from uh, winter and are ready to uh, go back to work. As I've said before, I never doubt the persistence and dedication of ALS advocates. I'm sure everyone is ready to go and uh, we know there's work ahead of us. Looking forward to talking more about that as the year goes on. That's all for our show this week. We'd love it if you, if you subscribed at ConnectingALS.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can leave us reviews on those services as well, and that'd be much appreciated as that helps others discover the show. You can also find us on social by searching Facebook and Twitter for Connecting ALS. This episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann, the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thank you all for listening, and we'll connect with you again soon. 